We've got so many out there that are joining us here this morning. We're so thankful for it. And uh, it's amazing how many of uh, this reaches outside of our normal church family. And uh, we just want to welcome all them today as well and want you to know that you are loved and you are appreciated. I'm so excited to uh, talk about Jesus this morning, right? Amen. Isn't that weird that Christians might talk about Jesus? I think that's something we probably ought to do a lot more. So we've been doing this series, Jesus' series, for like a year and a half now. We've had two seasons of Jesus' series. And who knew that season three was going to actually be on TV? Isn't that kind of funny how God works that out? But we've, uh, over the first eight episodes, we started to go through step by step what Jesus said, what Jesus did. And we're looking through the miracles and the, the things that he did for people, the people's lives that he ch- touched, and the sermons that he preached. Why? Because we want to be like Jesus. We want to walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and work like Jesus. So today is the season three premiere. Bum, bum. Last time on Jesus the Series, we saw in season one, John the Baptist pointing to and preparing the way for Jesus. We saw the, uh, Jesus face the temptation from the devil, directly from the devil in the desert. And we saw that he had the victory and you can have the victory against temptation too. We saw how Jesus got his earliest disciples there were people with no title. They weren't especially, uh, you know, special. They didn't have seminary degrees. These were people with no title that got excited about sharing Jesus. Just normal people. Then in season two, in episode one, we saw Jesus perform his very first miracle with the wedding at Cana. Episode two, we saw Nicodemus come to Jesus. And we heard that in order to have a relationship with God, you must be born again. Season three, or excuse me, episode three of season two, we saw the woman at the well forgiven. And then in episode four, Jesus performed his second miracle by healing the nobleman's son. Man, Jesus did so much in three years of ministry. And we're only just made a dent in this story of Jesus. And I'm so excited to jump in and continue to look at this. But if you have not uh, seen all those episodes of these first two seasons so far, you can find those on our app, and you also can find those on our website. You go and binge that maybe instead of uh, some Netflix series that you've been all in on. I'm sure at this point you're probably running it out anyway. So let's jump in to season three, episode one. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the people that are hardest to get on board with you serving God are those that are closest to you, those that are in your own family. Sometimes it's hard to step up in our own family. Sometimes the people closest to us are the ones that say, why do you waste your time with all that church stuff? Do you really believe all of that that this uh, that church says? And, and why do you spend your time there and sacrifice and serve? Sadly, as a youth pastor, many times we would come back from camp or maybe we'd come back from a missions trip, all excited for God, and those teenagers would go back home, and the people that would throw cold water on their excitement was their family. And it's sad that it's like that. See, many times people don't want you to step up to do something for God because it makes them feel like maybe they should too, and they're like, hold up, slow down. 
Yeah, you don't have, are you sure you want to surrender to be a missionary? Are you sure you want to surrender uh, to uh, full-time ministry? Are you sure you want to do something like that? What about being a doctor? What about being a lawyer? What about doing something? And those are fine professions as well. As we're seeing right now, we need doctors, right? But sometimes when we get excited about God, people are like, hold up. Maybe you're just, you know, a fanatic right now. This will pass. Uh, some of us probably have heard from our uh, families before. Oh, he found Jesus. Well, he'll get over it at some point. But why do people treat us like that? Why do, why do people want and feel the need to throw cold water on our excitement? Well, people don't like their own apathy to be challenged. And maybe you felt doubt about whether you could do anything really big for God. Maybe you've desired to do something meaningful with your life, but the people in your life, the people closest to you, remind you about what you can't do and what won't work. We have to push through that. We have to. Why? Because we don't walk this life for them. Look at the person next to you and tell them, right? Look at your wife, look at your husband. I don't walk this life for you, buddy. Go ahead and throw that buddy in there. That always sounds so sincere, right? Paul said it this way, Galatians 1.10. We should have that up on the screen here. I love this. And this is a verse that really uh, inspires me. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I love it how he throws that word still in there. He's not saying he's never lived to please men. He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. Paul here is saying, I don't want to be a people pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. Jesus surprisingly had an experience similar to what Paul's talking about here in Luke chapter 4. If you want to grab your Bible and, uh, and turn there, Luke chapter 4, we'll start off in verse 16. But Jesus comes back to his hometown of Nazareth. After doing two miracles that we've talked about now with the wedding at Cana and the healing of the nobleman's son. And we jump in next here in verse 16. It says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Okay, picture this. Jesus comes into his hometown. Imagine your hometown. Mine's Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Think about it. To think about the people you went to high school with. Think about the people in your neighborhood that you grew up with. Jesus comes back to his home synagogue, his home church. And he heads to, uh, to, the, to the synagogue on Sabbath day, right? He heads to church like he always did while he was growing up. In fact, the Bible says it was his custom. It was his habit. And hey, that might be a habit you might need to develop too, to get in church and to stick in church. How many of you can't wait till you can get back here in this building, right? You're missing it now, seeing it all around us here? Hey, but Jesus went to church. And what did they ask him to do? They asked him to read the Bible. If you grew up in Sunday school, you probably remember a time when the teacher called on you to read the Bible. You might have got a little scared, but I'm sure Jesus was so excited to get up there and talk. And we're going to see that it was God-ordained here, too. So they asked Jesus to do the Bible reading that day. So he stood up to read the Scripture. And they hand him the scroll that contained the book of Isaiah. And we're going to see that God's at work here. It was no coincidence that he read out of the book of Isaiah. Luke 4, 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to recover the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those that are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. Check this out. It says, all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. Jesus was reading from Isaiah uh, chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. So Jesus read the Bible too. Isn't that cool? He, now, he only had the Old Testament, but here he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And all the eyes are fixed on him. They're the size of dinner plates. You could probably hear a pin drop in that synagogue. Because this scripture was written 700 years before uh, this time. And it was a prophecy about the Messiah. Now the custom was in those days in the synagogue for the speaker to stand up when he read God's word out of respect and then to sit down to teach out of humbleness. Now I never sit down. Let's give it a shot and see. I'm not sure I'm humble, but let's see how this whole thing works. You're probably going to be able to see my feet, right? And I can just kind of kick my feet because I'm so short. Yeah, 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 laugh it up, right? But this is what Jesus did. He sat down to teach out of humbleness. All eyes are on him because he reads this scripture about the Messiah. Verse 21, check it out next. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What? Everybody gasped, right? <gasps> what, what is Jesus saying? Is he saying that he is the Messiah? Verse 22, it says, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Remember, these are people that knew Jesus. These, this, Jesus wasn't from out of town. They knew who he was. And the congregation looks at each other and says, yeah, he can speak pretty well. But they look at each other and they say, isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? Yeah, this is little Jesus from down the street, right? Oh, yeah, I remember seeing Jesus carrying wood back and forth to, to his dad, helping him out with the chores out there. Does he really think that he is the Messiah? Does he, who does he think he is? There's nothing particularly special about him or his family. Now, we know that there was lots of doubt in their heart because this is what Jesus said next in Luke chapter 4, verse 23. It's, it's awesome how Jesus knows their heart even when their speech might not give it away. He said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Uh, what we, we have heard uh, you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. They had a saying in that day, doctor, heal yourself. In other words, show us the proof. They said something to, uh, similar to Jesus on the cross. My mic just fell off. Hold up, hold up. I got to fish it out. All right, cool. But they said something similar to Jesus on the cross too. They said, uh, Christ, why don't you get out there and save yourself? If you are the Messiah, if you are the Christ, save yourself. See, Jesus knew their hearts and that they wanted to selfishly see a miracle like those that Cana had seen, like that the nobleman's son had seen. They heard that Jesus could do miracles and they wanted to see it for themselves. They wanted to see it in their hometown. Next, verse 24 says, uh, he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet 
is acceptable in his hometown. Jesus says this phrase several times about Nazareth. He says, no prophet is accepted in his own town. Now, you would think that his hometown would be more accepting of him, but no. See, they brought up Jesus' upbringing. This is just a carpenter's son. He, he has no formal education, no claim to royalty. There's nothing particularly special about him. And this is why I'm glad I pastor in West Virginia and not Downingtown, Pennsylvania, because a lot of people there knew me and knew who I was, and I'm sure that would run through their mind. What is he doing pastoring? It runs through my mind a lot. But what is he doing? He's the one that, you know, uh, kicked over my mailboxes or, you know, shot fireworks at my uh, house or shot my house with a BB gun. None of those things are true, by the way. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad I don't pastor in my hometown. That would be tough. But Jesus here says, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. You only know me by what you think you know about me. The people that Jesus was closest to him tried to tear him down. And no matter what he did, all they would ever see them see him as is a carpenter's son. But Jesus had a mission. He had a purpose. But those things that he, uh, those people that he knew for the longest, they didn't see it in him. And I don't know if you've experienced this before too. Sometimes it's hard to convince people that you've changed. Now, the biographer Luke tells us that Jesus goes on in this passage to remind them about two examples in the Old Testament of God healing and helping Gentiles rather than the disobedient Jews. The examples were the widow at Zarephath, where a widow needed help, and uh, the prophet helped her instead of all those maybe other people that could have used help. And she was a Gentile. And this was kind of strange in their thinking. And, and the other person was Naaman, who was a, a, a Gentile as well, but he was a leper. And Jesus says, you know how many lepers were in Jerusalem at that time? Or you know how many lepers were in Israel and Judea? And, and God didn't choose to help them. He chose to help Naaman instead. And that's what happens in both those stories. Well, the Jewish congregation did not like that at all. They felt that God loved more, uh, them more than everyone else, even when they were living contrary to his word. I think sometimes as Christians, we can do that too. We can look at people around us and we can think, uh, God loves us more than them, even when we aren't living the way that pleases him. But these people, they didn't like it. Now, Jesus could have just preached a nice cushy message to show off, to make his mama proud, but instead he chose to follow God's will and preach the message that God wanted him to preach instead. Verse 28, we're going to see how people react. It says, when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. They were angry and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their mist, he went away. Wow, that ex escalated quickly, right? We were telling Chloe this story. She said, man, that's intense. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a preacher that likes to kind of brag that he's a really hard preacher, right? But I doubt a crowd's ever picked him up in the middle of the service and taken him off to a cliff to throw him down. And you could holler back about someone needing steel toe boots for a service when that happens to you, right? But they literally tried to kill Jesus. He miraculously, though, the Bible tells us, disappeared from among them and went on his way. Why? Because his death was ordained to be on a cross 
called, uh, on the hill called Calvary and not getting thrown off a cliff. Now, sometimes we can complain and think that we have haters, we have doubters. Well, Jesus had doubters that tried to discredit him. They mocked him and even tried to kill him. Jesus was the Messiah, and he was on this earth for a reason. He had a purpose, and that purpose was Calvary. And if you're with us today, joining us right now, and you are a child of God, then he has a reason for you living today, too. But you uh, can fall into the crowd, and you, can, and you can bend your will to culture, and fall in with the rest of the world, and live for money, and live for status, and live for self if you want to. That's very easy. But don't you want to be different? Don't you want to do something meaningful with your life? Don't you want your life to matter in all eternity? Because God has a purpose for you. We need to follow Jesus' example. We need to be like Jesus. God has something so very big for you to do. And this might be the very time that God is asking you to step up. We need to bring, uh, dream big for God. And realize that we are the church and we are the hands and feet. The church is not going to be able to organize during this time some type of big water walk or some type of big world market or some type of big experience that we can really put our organizational weight around. But what we can do is we, you, in your living room, you can decide right now to be the church and be the hands and the feet. Craig Groeschel tells us this. He talks about how uh, he's found a way that when things make him sad, the things that make him righteously angry, the things that we care about that others don't, those are often the key to unlock the reason for our living. What's your special burden? That's what he's saying. How about you? What's yours? Think about it and then give life to it. What's your burden? Say it loud, or if you'd like it, write it in a blank. My weird blessing is to have a burden for what? Foster kids, single parents, the divorce, seniors, teens, widows. What is your weird blessing to have a burden for what? That might just be the reason and the purpose that God has uh, given you and has been trying to show you when you care about something that maybe nobody else does. But here's the point. We need to find our reason and settle for nothing less than living out our reason. Now, when you do that, people are going to remind you of things you cannot do. People will remind you that things won't work. But we need more people in the church that will dream big dreams for God and to shoot high and to risk something for Christ, even when people think you're pretty unremarkable. I probably used this story before, but there was once a boy at a beach that uh, saw a, the, uh, the beach just full and the sand just full of starfish and began to run passionately from starfish to starfish and throwing them back in the water. He didn't want them to dry out. He didn't want them to die. Well, an older gentleman walked by and said, listen, boy, stop wasting your time. There's too many. You will never make a difference. Well, the boy picked up another starfish. He thought for a second, and then he threw it as hard as he could. And he looked at the man and said, Mister, it mattered to that one. It made a difference for that one. And that's what we need to do. You can't do everything, but you can do something. 
And we can do for one what we wish that we could do for everyone. You might say, well, I can't get groceries for my whole street. You can do it for one. You could say, well, I can't call everybody in the church. You can do it for one. You need to find your purpose and then fill it out. That's what Jesus did. Even when people came against him, even when his hometown didn't give him the respect that he deserved, he decided that he was going to do God's will. And sometimes it made people angry. But he had, to, he had to figure out that I'm not going to be a people pleaser. I'm going to be a God pleaser. And when you hear the voices of doubt, remember that you can't do everything, but you can do something. And every starfish matters. Now, people, isn't it weird how they try to fit us in a box and they try to describe us by what we do and the actions that we take, right? And they determine how well we have life all put together. And sometimes it makes us feel bad. And we look at what everybody else is doing on Instagram and Facebook and social media. And we're like, man, I wish I had my life together as much as they do. Uh, Josh Richmond told me once, and uh, this is a quote he heard somewhere, and I don't remember where it was from. But he said, don't judge what's going on on other people's stage because there's always a backstage. What they're showing you on the front isn't necessarily what's going on backstage. And that's how we can uh, look at other people's lives and say, man, they've got the lights and they've got everything all together, but we don't see what's going on and the work that it took there. See, people try and fit you in a box and try and describe you by what you do. And they'll ask you questions like, what's your major? Hey, when are you going to get married? Hey, when are you going to get that? Is this the job you really want to do for the rest of your life? Hey, why don't you have a boyfriend? When are you going to buy a house? But see, in eternity, none of those things really matter. Don't allow your life to be defined by that. No, what matters most is that we live for Christ. People tried to persuade Jesus over and over again to care about other things. But he knew that they were temporary things. And he decided to please his father instead. They doubted and they questioned him. But his mission is this, and we just read this. He said his mission, he read that book of Isaiah. He said his mission was to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Man, isn't that awesome? He knew exactly why he was here. And we can be like Jesus too. We can find our reason and we can follow it out. I know Jesus was the Messiah, and you say, well, I'm not the Messiah. Good, that's great. If you learn that, that's a good step. If that's all you learned today, that's a good step. You're not the Messiah, but if you're a child of God, you do have a purpose, and God does have a will for your life. I quote the last line of this poem a lot. It's by uh, C.T. Studd. It says, only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Life and people try and fit us into molds. They try and push you to care about what they care about. But Jesus had a purpose to do the will of the Father. And you have a purpose to do the will of the Father. You only get one life. 
Don't chase the world's definition of success. Don't pick a wife just based on her outward beauty. Don't pick a job just based on money. Don't pick a church because it's flashy. Don't buy a house just to upgrade. Don't waste your life. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't waste his, trying to please men rather than pleasing God. Remember, Paul said in Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I seek to please men, still I should not be the servant of Christ. If we don't live intentionally and if we don't live with focus, then you are all but guaranteed that your life won't make an impact. Hey, we cannot just go through life without goals because you won't go anywhere. And we aim and we end up where we point So we have to focus in and say, God, this is what my goal is for your life. Find your God-given purpose and aim at that with your life. Sometimes those close of us will doubt us the most. Pastor Jesus, his hometown, didn't even accept him. A prophet is without honor in his own country. The ones closest to Jesus doubted them, and many of his family didn't even believe in him until after his resurrection. Look. You can't please everyone. Jesus didn't either. But you can please God with your life. Focus on what matters. Live for the audience of one. When you think about, hey, who's looking at me? Who's watching what I'm doing? Think first and only about what God thinks about you. Don't be a people pleaser. Be a God pleaser. Be who God made you to be. Trust God to fill in all the blanks. Even if you can't see All the way to the end, take the next step that God wants you to take. Yes, you weren't born the Messiah, but you were born with a purpose. You may not be all that remarkable. You may come from a family that isn't all that special. They said the same thing about Jesus. But press on. Find your true purpose. Dream big for God. Find the reason that you were made. And when you do, don't let people talk you out of it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. The band's going to come, Josh and Ann. And let's take a minute to think about this. What is our purpose? Why are we here? Why did God make us? It wasn't on accident. We know our God makes no mistakes. There are no accidents. Let's ask ourselves that question. Am I a people pleaser or am I a God pleaser? When I live my life, am I living it for other people? Have you found your reason? Have you found your purpose? Let's dwell on that for just a minute. Those of you that are followers of Christ, you think through that right now. What is my purpose? What is God's will for my life? Am I fulfilling it? What's my strange, weird burden? And when I see that certain segment of the population, I'm like, man, I need to help there. What can I do? Well, that's probably God leading you in that direction. Maybe it's to help those in recovery. Maybe it's to help kids in our schools. Maybe it's to help the elderly. Maybe it's missions. What is your weird burden? 